Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. 18 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock on what is... So far, an absolutely gorgeous Wednesday morning. Jay Quarry, Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton. Kevin, yesterday, you know, obviously this this news of kind of the ever-changing world of the Indianapolis Colts is going to be a topic of discussion, but it becomes even bigger when you get one of the real pillars, I think, of the franchise history over the last 20 years. If you want to talk, here's where Jim Irsay, I'm not going to say he put himself in a pickle, Kevin, but... What's fascinating to me, if you want to justify the moves that you are making or give yourself credibility and benefit of the doubt over changes to your franchise by building up, pointing the finger towards, and giving yourself accolades over an era of greatness then it has to hurt a little bit when the guy that was had his hands on the steering wheel for you during that era of greatness comes out and actually, essentially, questions what it is that you're doing. And again, that's not very Tony Dungy-like, but that's what he did yesterday on Dan Patrick. I, I thought on several occasions, disagreeing with uh, the Frank Reich move, disagreeing with what the Colts have done at quarterback. Um, I guess let's start with the Reich clip if you don't mind mark again this is tony dungy yesterday on dan patrick about the firing of frank reich in season cold i would have said hey jim you've got as many wins as the rams the super bowl defending champs have no there's no super teams out there get this going stay with frank Let's see if we can win a few games here. Get back in the race. If you make the play, you already beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Everybody's saying they're going to the Super Bowl. You already beat them. So if you get in, who knows what's going to happen. So stay with the best course of attack to get you in these playoffs. One thing that jumps out at me there, Kevin. You know, we've had Jeff Saturday on this program, obviously, you guys had him long before I was here, I, you know. But each time that Jeff Saturday talks about the Colts, what would he say? We, right? Even when he was working for ESPN, we. Indianapolis is a unique market because there are so many players that on either franchise that end up sticking around and living in Indy. You know, Rick DeMoling still lives here. Ryan Deem still lives here. Um, Scott Pollard still lives here. You know, I think players like being in Indianapolis and do have a connection to the franchise probably because of the intimacy of this market versus a New York or a Chicago or an L.A. But Tony Dungy started out that by saying, as a former Colt, that right there, I'm not kidding you when I say this, I know it sounds ridiculous and like I'm grasping at straws of talking points, that has to hurt Jim Mercer a little bit to hear him refer to himself as a former Colt. Because, you know, he's a he's a horseshoe guy, Right. I get it. Tony Dungy professionally has to present it that way. Yeah, I think he's just setting it up to, I have connections there. No, I get so. it. I get it. But I mean, but I'm telling you, to 99.999% of the masses, that's exactly what that is, and it's no more than that, even though uh, I'm mentioning it. But 
for Jim Ursay to hear that, I, I guarantee you we'd think, you know, no. Tony's not a former Colt. Like, once a horseshoe, always a horseshoe. And he is he is somebody that this franchise in this city has held very dearly is ours, even though, technically speaking, I think he would say he's more of a Tampa guy. But nonetheless, I think he's just being outside observation, trying to be objective there over what he's talking about. Two other Dungey clips. Um, this one, Jeff Saturday related about the interim role and just how permanent he thinks this could be. I don't think it is. I think this was a eight games. Let's see if we can okay. make something happen here. And then, you know, we'll, we'll go from there. Hey, we turn it around and win six out of eight, and, you know, make the playoffs. Maybe it is. But at this point, what can we do to salvage this season? See, but here's the part of that that just you doesn't make the sense odds you get on the Colts winning six of eight to end the year. Oh, especially when you look at their schedule. I mean, you got at Las Vegas, which is certainly doable, but then you got the Eagles. Steelers is doable. But you go to Dallas, you go to Minnesota, you got the Chargers, who are pretty darn good. You go at the Giants. I mean, there's some tough games in there. I What I keep going back to, Kevin, is if this was about just simply trying to put a little juice in the season and shake things up to make a run... <sighs> Nothing against him, but I mean, you have a guy on the sidelines that I know is aging, and I know that he's not as mobile behind an offensive line that is completely broken. There are so many inconsistencies of narrative, it drives me crazy. It's almost hard to know where to go with it. If you really are trying to win this year, you've got a quarterback on the sideline that you're paying, what, $17 million or something for the year? who is a former MVP within the league, and I know that he's not very mobile. So then if you're trying to win this year, and to do that, you've got to take the highest paid player on your roster, essentially, and put him on the sidelines because he's not mobile enough to play behind an offensive line in front of him, then you probably should be upset with the guy that was that you're paying to build that offensive line. But instead, you're telling me that guy's Michael Jordan. Which is it? There's too many inconsistencies here. Yeah. There are too many contradictions. And again, Jim Irsay tried to, I, I guess, clarify them last night with Bob Kravitz and Mike Chappell, calling both of them, saying adamant that we are not tanking. Dungy referenced yesterday that he believes a big reason why Matt Ryan is not playing is because of the finances that he is due in 2023, injury-related. Um, you have that audio, Mark? Go ahead and cue that. Matt up. Ryan, I guess it's the fact that it's contracts and he plays so much, then you pay this money next year. If he gets hurt, this much is guaranteed. And so you think, okay, we're not going to make the playoffs, so we're not going to win a Super Bowl, so, so we're not going to do that. But Nick Foles, I, I can't understand. I love Nick Foles, and I think in this situation, a guy who can get rid of the ball quick, who knows the, the NFL landscape, who has done this in the past and led teams on, on second-half marches, I, I'm not sure why he's not playing. Jake, do you find it odd at all that Dungy disagrees with Ursay on multiple levels with this move? I, I want to acknowledge Tony Dungy is, of course, close with Frank Reich. You, you, yes. you have to acknowledge that. Uh, at the same time, he's very close with Jim Ursay, very close with Jeff Saturday. Uh, do you find it odd at all that, I mean, if Dungy wanted to, he could have towed company line there and not gone, you know, to the. For, for Dungy, that is. Heavy disagreement with Ursay on multiple levels. You find that odd at all? 
I don't. And I'll tell you why. Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy has a very good and lucrative career that he's very good at. To me, it's a lot like players that played for Bob Knight. I'm going to make an analogy here, and I apologize. For a long time, the only player after playing in Indiana that was publicly outspoken about not not necessarily jiving with everything that, that Bob Knight you know, went for, not necessarily being in alignment with it, not necessarily liking everything about Bob Knight, the one player that was always publicly critical of Bob Knight was Isaiah Thomas. And for a long time, Isaiah Thomas was the only player that didn't need him. Because Bob Knight, but Isaiah Thomas was a, was a, an all NBA performer, and a lot of players were still making a name for themselves off of the fact that they had played at Indiana under Bob Knight. I get it. Tony Dungy is somebody, Kevin, that being the head coach in the Super Bowl winning quarterback or the Super Bowl winning coach, excuse me, under the Indianapolis Colts is not necessarily like the 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 number one thing that Tony Dungy's known for. Tony Dungy is the guy that that is the Sunday night commentator. I think a lot of people still think of Tony Dungy as the head coach of the Tampa Bay Bucks and the guy that built that Bucks defense. And a lot of people probably think that John Gruden's Super Bowl team was Tony Dungy's team. But my point being that Tony Dungy has a flexibility and a longer has more credibility to be more honest about what's going on. I don't mean in a vindictive way. But I just don't know that he feels necessarily the obligation to constantly be in line with the team message the way other people who have been involved with the organization would. So he's going to be more honest. And I think that he also probably, to an extent, because of the fact that he is paid as a national commentator, and he probably has somewhat of an insecurity of knowing that people are going to think that he has a bias towards two different franchises. When it comes to talking about those two franchises, he might even be overcompensatory in being the other way and countering it so that his objectivity or his credibility is in line with people but tony dungy though to his credit tony dungy's always been a guy that does what tony dungy and says what tony dungy believes in i thought that was to a little bit more of another level yesterday maybe the quantity of it more than anything um we're gonna have Stephen holder join us here in about five minutes again parks frazier that is the name of the play caller for the colts on sunday afternoon 30 years old a quarterback at murray state back in the day the racers um, he Doesn't had, that sound like a mix of different sitcoms, Parks Frazier? Like it sounds right. like a fictional character, doesn't yeah, it? A lot of Parks yeah. and Rec <laughs> I saw from people yeah, yesterday. Yeah, Frazier and, you know, I mean, sure. what's uh, his middle name? Kramer? Yeah. Cosmo Kramer? <laughs> um, I'm good with this. I, You know, this is maybe a bit outlandish to even think about, but if you're Jeff Saturday, the back of your mind... You're thinking to yourself, all right, let's try and identify a young, offensive, quarterback-centric mind on the staff. Can we find the next big thing? And maybe that's Parks Frazier. And if not, whoop-de-doo, the offense already stinks. So I am totally good with it. I'm somewhat intrigued by it. Um, Because I think something we've got to keep in mind with the Head coaching position moving forward, whether it's Jeff Saturday, whether it's Jim Harbaugh, you know, Leslie Frazier, Luke Fitt, whoever is going to be the Colts head coach next season. What you do at quarterback and how you develop quarterback 
supersedes everything else. And Jim Irsay mentioned that last night. That was a comment he did mention. And again, we'll have Mike Chappell on a little bit later to discuss that. But he said, if there's someone next year, most likely we would probably draft a quarterback. Too early to say, but there's no question that's on the Colts' radar. Those were Irsay's comments last night. Even if Sam's playing well, um, you're looking for an opportunity if there is one. So in a way, I think that is what this move potentially goes towards of like, hey, if I really like Parks Frazier and I think he's doing a nice job and I think he can help mold a young quarterback and if you're Jeff Saturday and you have a lot of say in the coaching staff next season or you are the head coach, you might want to keep Parks around. Yeah, I mean, I'm cool with it. Like, You know what I mean? He's you made a really good point earlier, Kevin. I, you know, Sean McVay. I mean, isn't that one of them that like people are like, "What? Who? What?" That's the NFL craze. Can right. you find the next Sean McVay? I mean, Kevin O'Connell. This Parks Frazier is a nice looking guy. He looks kind of like Sean McVay. In Did you see that Minnesota? Yeah, he, he's a great dude. Great dude. Do you find it odd at all that Frank Reich was officiating his wedding and now he's taking Frank Reich's play calling job, or is that I, I, nature of the business? The latter, buddy. Nature of the business. I mean, that was a wild story. We all have we all have jobs at some point that we have done that someone else held. You that know? was a crazy story a few years ago. I think it was like Mother's Day weekend. He was out of town. His house got shot up. Parks Frazier, like seventy rounds in correct. his house. And again, mistargeted. Correct. You want to talk about bad luck? I'd be moving. Well, yeah. I mean, bad luck on one end, but good luck you weren't home. Yeah, that's true. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. That's a good point. And joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline, we go from the Dean of College Basketball, Mike DeCourcy, as I've always called it, to the Dean of Writers covering the Indianapolis Colts, Mike Chappell joining us and... Chap, my understanding is Kevin has presented it this way. You tell me if this is accurate. Basically, uh, Tony Dungy went on Dan Patrick's show. Tony Dungy said some things that Jim Irsay kind of rubbed him the wrong way. And so Jim Irsay picked up the phone and said, I'm going to call the guy that I need to clear the air to. And that was Mike Chappell along with Bob Kravitz. And you had a conversation <laughs> with Irsay yesterday. Pretty fair how that all went down? But you're not as dumb as they say you are, Jake. <laughs> well, thanks. Chab hasn't been up for very long, but man, he's swinging this morning. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I, he, he just wanted. Yeah, he, he's he's really taken umbrage to the fact that they're not playing Ryan to save potentially seventeen million dollars, and and that only I, I I've quit really paying attention to contracts much because. To get complicated and all this, but it, it all comes down to if Ryan would suffer a major injury and he can't pass the physical in March, those guarantees become, or those bonuses, not bonuses, but part of the contract become guaranteed. That's part of any contract. It's not like it's special to his. But then he also said that, you know, we're going to need all three quarterbacks the rest of the season, and this is up to Jeff, and so, but yeah, that that was the 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 button that was pushed that that prompted the the call. I thought, chap, and you tell me if I read this wrong. I thought Ursay kind of contradicted himself because on one hand he said that is absolutely Tony Dungy. For those that are unfamiliar, Tony Dungy had had reinforced that notion 
that perhaps part of the reason Matt Ryan wasn't playing was because there was something in his contract that he would be automatically given money towards next year if he had an injury, you know, and, and he and he wasn't able to play, and that that would kick in guaranteed money. And Jim Irsay took exception to that and said that's absolutely untrue. That's BS. There's nothing like that. But then later, am I correct, Mike, in saying that he he then said, well, every contract has stuff like that, right? Right. The, the, initially, I think it was kind of lost in translation where people, because, you know, somebody said, it's, it's like in, in in grade school when you, it's that old tell a, tell a secret thing, and by the time it gets to the end, it's different. He It's been sort of reported, and I've not seen it, so I don't want to put it out there too much, but that it, it's tied to playtime. If he plays X, X number of games more, that's not it. it it's all, the, it's, in, it's the injury factor. If he finishes, if he comes back, finishes the year, and he's fine, then in all likelihood, they're going to cut him before March seventeenth, and and he gets twelve million of his guaranteed salary for next year, and the seventeen million goes away. But if there is an injury and, and he can't pass the physical, then then those guarantees, or then that that extra money becomes guaranteed. So it's tied to injury, not playtime. So, I mean, can the team try to protect itself from that by not playing him? Of course. But you can do that with any player. Now, you're talking he's not any player because it's $17 million. So, yeah, it's 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 how you want to look at it, but I want to see if they play him again. I mean, I, I was always under the impression that the only way that Matt Ryan plays again is if Sam Ellinger and Nick Foles get hurt, but we'll see. Okay, Mike Chappell's with us, CBS4, Fox 59, his latest from Jim Ursay last night. Um, Ursay felt the need to clarify some things, address some narratives potentially out there. Um, so, again, that is Chapp's latest. Um, on that note, uh, I guess what else kind of stood out to you from last night's conversation? He was sounded pretty adamant that they have the right offensive line personnel. It's up to the head coach to figure that out. Um, and he also seemed very open to drafting a quarterback next year, even if Sam Ellinger plays well. Yeah, but he started that. I didn't use that part because it was he called late, and you know, at some point I'm done with the day. It's just you know, I, I had a chance. <laughs> I my day was filled up with my day was filled up with talking with with Frank and getting his side on this. But you got Ball he, State on to watch. I, and I was, I, and boy, they just couldn't bring it home. So you know, half a trip, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it, yeah, he, he now what he said initially, he says, well, we got to see where, where we are with Sam, because Bob asked the question. Well, we'll see what, how Sam does and all this, and he really likes Sam. He, he really likes Sam Ellinger, but they want to see what they've got. But he, he, he finally came around to where, you know, it's it, it's if, if something's there, we certainly have to look at it, and we probably will look at it. Well, they have to look at it. I mean, even if Sam looks like he's, you know, part of your future as, as worst case, a quality backup, which I think may be what he is. You still have to. And, and goodness, right now they're 14th in the draft order. What makes anyone think they're not going to move up? You know, I, I look at that schedule and I see, I don't know what. Because they're not win. tanking, chap. They're in to win. Well, you know, this is one of those where you don't have to tank. Right. You know, on the field. I mean, you, you can play your ass off. Which I think, for the most part, they do. Not for they do, but until I always default back, and I'm wrong sometimes on this. Until they get the offensive line fixed, who's going to do anything? 
I mean, the, the defense is going to give up points because that's what, you know, other teams are pretty good. But hey, l- let's let's get to that, chat because I, I asked Kevin this earlier. I I had this weird, I have this feeling that like in two years, some story's going to come out that we're going to find out that one of the key pieces of that line was hurt, had an ankle injury, whatever it might be, and it, was, and it just caused everything else around it to be off kilter and off balance, or maybe it's just that one guy forgot how to play. I have no idea. I mean, I'm at my wits end on that offensive line. What, quite frankly, because they do have guys that we've seen play well in the NFL, what is the issue? Yeah, I mean, you're talking about the left guard. Uh, I mean, I mean, on, on we're going to find out something in two years. I, I've asked people, I've talked to people, uh, I talked to Frank about it. I said, Frank, what what's up with Quentin? And they don't know. You know, it's, it's one thing, and when you've been in this long enough, you think, well, boy, he got paid, now he's toasting. That's not Quentin. That's not even close to who Quentin Nelson is. Something's going on. Uh, uh, physically, I don't know, but as a group, it, it, everyone has taken at least a step back and some guys uh, at the position and some guys have taken two and three steps back left tackle. We, we were all trashing Eric Fisher, uh, in, in pass protection. He's pretty good run blocker. He's pretty good. And Quentin last year had the injuries. Ryan Kelly has, has regressed to some level. I don't know what level you want to put it. And I'm telling you, the drop-off from Chris Reed and Mark Lewinsky at right guard to what they've done is immense. It is. I think Braden Smith's playing okay. I think he's all right. Whenever his shortcomings come up, they look worse because of whether it's scheme or everybody else around him is bad. But going with Matt Pryor, who's now been benched at three positions, which is really, you know what that makes me think about is, back in the day in baseball, you had these guys, Burke Camp and Eric, you played all 11 positions. Are they going to try to have him bench at three spots? I mean, and Danny Pender hasn't worked out at guard. He's probably a center. So, and, you know, we all knew they would miss Jack Doyle. They really miss Jack Doyle. He's sort of part of that offensive line group. But everybody has taken a step back. And when you do it collectively, this is what we get. We get 35 sacks. We get 30th in rushing. Uh, and I don't know how... I know. I, I know. A lot of people were on the fire Frank Wright bandwagon. I just don't know how you call plays and how you find any kind of efficiency when you've got this offensive line play. I, if someone's got an idea, let me know. But the, how do you fix it now? It, it's it's November, so I just don't know how this gets better until the offensive line is at least, you know reliable and right now it's not i do want to get to the play caller here coming up on sunday in just a second but um go back to monday night and i guess a little bit of chris ballard related chap um i i have the feeling that if jeff saturday wants to be here next year jim mercy will give him some role within the organization might not be head coach but i i think that that could very well be in the cards um better chance chris ballard has a role with the colts next year or peyton manning Chris Ballard, <laughs> I, I, boy, the Peyton man. What would Peyton come in at as 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 GM? Jeff's uh, the head coach, and Peyton's the GM. Wow, I could see Jeff as as, as offensive offensive line coach, which I thought they should have done in this instance. Let, you know, let John Fox or somebody run, basically run the day to day of the football team because they know what's going on, and you know. 
this, I don't want this to come out as I'm being critical of Jeff Saturday at all. That's not the case. It's just that he's coming in and and not knowing, he may know the roster because he's been a consultant and I'm sure he's been watching film on all this, but the day-to-day stuff of running practice and meetings and all that, that's that's something that's ingrained, and I guess they just sort of keep the same schedule, but, but that's a, a schedule he's not familiar with. So I, I thought maybe they, they, you know, give it to John Fox or Gus or even Bubba, you know, Bubba Ventrone, and, and let Jeff come in if you want to as that consultant, as an offensive consultant, as offensive line coach. I don't know. But this is what he's, he's doing, and it's really going to be interesting how this thing unfolds for the next eight eight games because, you know, at the end of the season, Kevin, you asked a question on Monday about Chris, and Jimmy basically said, well, of course he's going to be here. You know, it's not even in, in my mind. Well, you know, he told a couple of national guys a week or so ago that, you know, he had a good he, he was in a good spot with Frank and, and Chris. It just seems like so, to me, Jeff... Jeff Saturday right now would have more say or would have Jim Mercer's ear more than Chris Ballard, and well, that to me is very awkward. That's uh, and, and how else can you read it? I, I agree with it. And this is one where you'd love to get some truth serum in a guy and see what they <laughs> what they believe with you know like with Chris and how the, the one the one quote that jumped out at me that that he that, that Chris said when they had the discussions with Ursay over what they're going to do, he said, we had very spirited discussions. Well, you only have spirited discussions if you disagree. So, you know, I don't know how much at the end, I think Chris very much, you make a decision, you go forward, but that doesn't mean he agreed with this. He didn't look really, you know, comfortable on, on Monday. He didn't want to, I don't think he wanted to be there because it just, that's not who he is at this point. He, he wants to take care of the team and move forward. But, yeah, it, it's a strange dynamic. Uh, and it's that, that's why I say it, it's people are saying they're going to tank. I don't think they need to because things are, are, are where they're at. I don't know where this team comes out of this. I just don't see how structurally and personnel-wise they come out of this. And that's got nothing to do with laying, on, laying down on the field and tanking. It's just that. This is who you are right now. Chap, you have... Mike Chappell is our guest. He's on the Payless Liquors Hotline. And for those that don't know, and I can't imagine there would be probably anybody listening that don't, but you've covered this team and been the beat writer for them since the Mayflower trucks arrived, which means myself, Kevin, other people within the community here, we can speculate as to what it was like when Bob Ursay was here. We've heard the stories. We've read the articles. We weren't actively in the locker room getting post-game comments when Bob Ursay was coming in and cutting guys in the locker room and having plays called down from the press box, etc. You were. And Jim Ursay was. Jim Ursay's very actively and very, you know, vociferously claimed that he never wants to enter that territory. I'll ask you the same question that I asked Stephen earlier this morning. Has Jim Ursay started to get his big toe to crossing that line that he has tried so hard to not cross in terms of over-interference as his father had? Yeah, he's got his toe in the pool. I I, I do think that. And on one level, I understand it because it's his team. And sure. He what he darn well plays as I understand that. But the one thing that Jimmy told me early, early on is what you do as an owner is you put people in place and let them do their jobs. 
he told me one time that the only time he's really going to interfere, if that's the right word, is if 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 the the, the family name and the, and the horseshoe is in danger, the reputation. And I know of a couple, two or three times that he's done that. But this is this is a little different because I don't think anyone can. No, no one's going to sell me on the idea that this was a a. a a, a universal decision that we all agree on. This, along with Matt Ryan, I don't believe that. <clears throat> but Carson Wentz wasn't. So it, it 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 sort of, if you're not careful, it really undercuts your GM. It just does. Uh, and that's you, you, you've got to be careful when you do that because, it, it, like I said, it undercuts everybody below you that you put in place to do their job. And I hope that's not where we continue to go because I don't think that's really a healthy environment. <clears throat> Jeff Saturday is beloved in this town. I think he's beloved just in general because he's a super nice guy. He's obviously, you know, he knows the game. I mean, he's got everything that you would want, right? He just he's a polished individual. I know that the resume from a co- you know, co- that's that that aside from a personality standpoint, Jim Mercer talks so much about representing the horseshoe, and Jeff Saturday would do that for any company as well, you know, Bailey and Wood, whoever it might be, as well as you could ask. Does that put even more pressure on Chris Ballard, who I thought did not act professionally the other night? Well, it, it puts him in, a, in some of an awkward situation because, again, he's not, he wasn't part of the 2000s. You know, we've got Reggie here, we've got Cato June here, David Thornton is in a key position internally. I mean, a key position. And now you've got Jeff, and you've always got the the Peyton Manning, you know, are out there as well. And, you know, and you just had all these guys back here. What was it? For the Washington game. And and it just sort of rekindles what they once had and they want to, what they want to get back to. So I, I would, it, it's got to be, it's got to be awkward. It, it just does. Because everyone has egos. Everyone knows what their job is. And, and it seems like there's been some of that has been either taken away or, or diminished. I don't know. I think what's more interesting, and we're, and we're not going to find out about it today in the locker room, is how do the players feel about this? They, they, they were shocked with Matt Ryan. Kevin was in there. They were shocked. And I've seen a few comments from guys. They were shocked about Frank Wright. How, how, how does everyone respond to Jeff Saturday, and again, I don't. This is I don't mean this to be a criticism of Jeff at all. It's just a situation to where if I'm DeForest Buckner and if I'm Stephon Gilmore and, and fifteen or twenty other veterans, this this is not what they signed up for. Right? Like I'm here because we were all chips in. Right? I'm not here because all of a sudden midway through the season we decided we're going to change hands. Right? And the trade right. deadline's gone. Oh, you're you're here. You're you're here. And that's what I want to see. And no one's going to, you know, I think what we're going to get in the locker room today is they were shocked and disappointed that Frank was let go and we, we failed him and that's on us. But but how do you feel about where you guys are and moving forward? And I, I would love to have been in the room when Jeff talked to the team today. I mean, he's a great motivator, absolutely great motivator, a great leader. But these guys... These guys want someone that they that they have. I don't say trust because, well, yeah. I mean, there's someone who's done it before that they can say, yeah, we're we're going to go forward because I, this guy's done it before, and I can see us coming out of this because of this. And I just don't know how they react. 
I hope they react well. They, they, they get, you know, it's their, at the end of the day, they can be pissed off. They can whatever. It's their job. They get paid very well to do it. So, you know, kind of like just be quiet and do your job. Well, that's not a great, <laughs> a great work environment. And I'm not saying that's what it's going to be. But you've got you've to expect there to be some players thinking, are you serious? This is where we are now. But at the end of the day, it's their job to do something about it and play well. And, you know, I'm not sure how much better the defense can play. You know what's interesting? And Jake, you're always good about these little things. Just just take let's, – let's just take two plays this year. Two plays. A 42-yard field goal is made at Houston. And Stephon Gilmore breaks, that, breaks up that ball against Washington. And we're talking about something else entirely. Two plays. And really nothing would have changed with how this team is. It's just those two plays, and the record is, is a lot better, and you're thinking, you know, we can win the AFC South, yet here we are. Chap, I got two more. Um, there's many reasons why I wanted to have you on. Again, M Chapel 51 is where, where you're going to find Mike's latest. One of them was you caught up with Frank Reich yesterday. Um, I would say the first thing that stood out to me was Jim Mersey fired this man over the phone, which I think is absolutely ludicrous. Um, it sounds like Frank's going to get away, and then he wants another crack at being a head coach. Do you feel like he would want another crack at being an offensive coordinator, or do you think it'd only be a head coach? No, it was. I asked him that. Uh, if, first of all, on the phone call, if I, I need to go back and listen again because we talked about a ton of stuff. I think he said it just. He said a face to face just wasn't possible. I thought he mentioned Jimmy was out of town Monday morning, which seems strange with all this going on. He said they plan on getting together in the next couple of weeks. Was uh, he in Georgia with Saturday? I don't know. I, it, just, it was one of those things. I, I asked it, and it, hmm. we moved to something else very quickly. And But he, he, he does want to coach again. And yes, he, he said, my desire to be, to be a head coach. I said, well, what, I said, what about a coordinator or a Quarterback coach. I don't know if he would be a quarterback coach. That's I don't. Want, God, I want to say beneath him. But he, he's done that before. He wants. I think he wants a more prominent role. He will get one. He will. I think if he's smart, he takes. Of course, he takes the rest of the year off. I don't know if, if there's anything open now that someone would do. Uh, I don't know what's down in Jacksonville with Doug Peterson, but he'll coach again. It, it, it's in his blood. And what he told me, he had hoped to coach here for like ten or twelve years or win a championship or two. And retire, so he's not looking to go Bill Belichick and coach until he's in his mid seventies. But he still wants to coach. He was again. He really he was hurt, and disappointed, he, primarily because it, it's he wasn't able to finish this year. And who knows how much better or worse it would have gotten. But uh, it, it's just I think he's a very good coach, and it was a bad situation. Part of what he's doing. I mean, he, he he had things he had input in in personnel matters, uh, but but I, I I think he's a really really good coach and a much better person, and I wish nothing but the best for him. Yeah, honestly, one of the greater human beings I've come across. Um, okay, last one from me. Uh, we talked a little bit about Parks Frazier, the play caller this Sunday. I'm I'm good with it. I know it's very outside the box, but whatever. All your other moves have pretty much been like that here over the last few weeks. Uh, did I see that you reported that they did offer it to Scott Milanovic, the quarterback's coach? That's what I was told. I was told that, that I was told that. So now, whether, huh. and again, I, you know, you, you just kind of, and I trusted who I was told it, <laughs> told it from. So I was thinking about that. Well, maybe Parks thought, you know, or uh, 
scout thought, you know, I, I get my plate full right now with a quarterback making his, his third start, uh, and I'm just speculating. But and yeah, Milanovic is the quarterback's coach, for those that don't know. Yeah, and so, and maybe he decided that it's it's just too much for take me too much away from what I really need to concentrate on. But so we'll see where it goes. And that was one of our big questions with Jeff on Monday: is you know you haven't got a coordinator because Frank fired him, and you haven't got a coach because you guys fired Frank. So you know it's just it's just who who does what, who runs meetings, who 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 does the game plan, who does the game plan now? I mean, I mean the actual game plan. So it's that's that's the main thing, and we'll get some answers today, I guess. But yeah, I I was told that that Milanovic was was at least offered the job. Chap, I feel like, and I said this this week at the beginning of the week. Part of me feels like tonight at about nine thirty, you're going to be waiting through cigar smoke from Batesy and taking phone calls from Robin and the Benners because you're working at the Indy Star and it's 1986. Covering the those Colts. were great days. Those were great days. They, they were <laughs> I mean, Fridays and Saturdays on the desk were, were totally <laughs> pains. But God, it was fun. Robin, you had to spend a week with Robin Miller at, in, in the newsroom to really appreciate how newspapers were put out. I mean, and half the time you're sitting there and you're like, I have no idea what quarterback we're covering this weekend, but let's just yeah. go with it, <laughs> right? That's well, what I, it feels I, like. I, it's, it's funny. We, 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 in 1984, we're sitting there with. John Banch and Tom Reitman, I, I was Banch's backup, and and Rod Dower sat there in the old media room, and he said, "Yeah, we, I think he said we we signed George Achika, who was a defensive tackle, and we've cut Arch Schleister. This is after they got boat raced in, in Pittsburgh, and it was like you you did what? You you cut your starting quarterback, and it was like a oh, oh by the way, and and it, the great days back then with you know like you said with Bob Ursay and the things that they did." But that's not the way to run it. That's not the way to run a franchise. But those days were great, and I miss them. <laughs> Again, bet, man. Mike's latest, not only the conversation, exclusive conversation with Frank Reich, but also uh, Jim Irsay clarifying some comments late last night. Chap, I know it was a busy Monday night, busy Tuesday night, so we do appreciate you uh, making time for us this morning, and I'll see you here in a few hours. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Looking forward to it. Be well, guys. See you, Jake. Jake, obviously we're going to talk some college basketball with our next guest, Mike DeCourcy, but, I, you know, he is a big-time Pittsburgh Steelers He's the one guy that's fan. got November 28th circled on the calendar, he buddy. Does. The terrible towel is being washed and dried daily thinking about that game inside of Lucas Oil Stadium coming up Monday Night Football. Uh, Mike, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think you would be opposed to a Frank Reich appearance in Pittsburgh sometime soon, potentially as offensive coordinator. Am I wrong on that? No, I, yeah, I, I there were there were some uh, in my friend group uh, of Steelers fans who were like, just bring him in tomorrow, you know. And I'm like, oh, I think you can interview some people and see if that's the right choice. And but I, I highly respect him as a football coach. 
I, I think he would be a terrific addition to their staff. Someone with his experience would certainly be helpful. But uh, they have to make sure that it's the right mix for the for the people that they have, uh, uh, especially you know their their rookie quarterback. Uh, they they have to make sure that Kenny Pickett w- would work well with whoever they choose to hire, it, it, presuming that they make the move that's almost. If it were on, if it were on the ballot yesterday, it would have been like a hundred to zero <laughs> in Pittsburgh that they make a change at offensive coordinator. And that's Matt Canada, right? Did he used to be at IU? That is Matt Canada. Matt Canada, yeah. I, you know, I, 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 I was always mystified by what it was that qualified him to be an NFL offensive coordinator. I mean, if you look at his resume. Uh, his he, he's been an OC for he I think he was for NC State for a couple of years for Pitt for a couple of years and for LSU and Maryland and maybe had overwhelming success at one of those stops didn't last long at LSU at all uh, only one year and you think what in this resume says this guy has to be running the Pittsburgh Steelers offense it just didn't make sense to me it didn't add up and it's not certainly not adding up on the field I think it's now ballpark 16 game stretch where in which they had scored one first quarter touchdown that's that's encompassing at least three and maybe four different quarterbacks so uh, there's that old saying it's not me it's you well it's not it's not them it's him Mike in terms of college basketball by the way I grew up a huge Steelers fan too I think I've told you that um first one to 10 i think it'll be on that monday night football game yeah i mean no no kidding man (laughs) that game's literally the the corsi and then like the city of indianapolis well of course he's in indy Uh, that's the viewership for that game probably on that night but in terms of college basketball we'll begin with indiana purdue mike of those two teams which one do you feel like we we know the most about who they can be this year does that make sense what i'm asking yeah, I, I, and I think the answer is really who they can be. I think we know the most about Indiana because uh, uh, they have such a large number of significant players back. And so we know who they've been, and we know who they've been on their best days. So that's how you know who they can be. But I don't know who they will be until they start playing more competitive games. And we see whether or not what they need to be holds up over the course of four and a half months. I've said on many occasions that the number one key to this Indiana team, even over above, over and above the need to be a better perimeter shooting team is for Xavier Johnson to be solid on and off the floor through the course of the entire season. So we started the season on Monday uh, and if everything went well, uh, let's say April, I don't remember the exact dates, but let's say April 7th, if he's rock solid from now until then, they can do very well. He's a very gifted player. He can shoot the basketball. He can get to the lane. He can make the, all the passes you need him to make and some that others don't see. Uh, but he's got to be all in for helping Indiana win from Monday until that season ends. And obviously the the... The dream for IU would be that that season would end into April. He's Mike DeCourcy. You see him on Big Ten Network, writes for Sporting News, college basketball analyst. I want to stick with IU for just a second. Um, I remember a few weeks back you wrote a great piece, you know, kind of featuring Trace Jackson Davis and, you know, what this season means to him. And I think I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but 
Trace had a quote in there of, you know, I, I don't want to be a great player on mediocre teams. I uh, thought that was yep. pretty good perspective from Trace, and just curious your uh, general thoughts on uh, that conversation with him. Yeah, I love that quote because I don't, I don't believe in false modesty. Uh, if you're good at what you do, it's, there's nothing wrong with saying you're good at what you do. A lot of people try to pretend that's a bad thing. For Trace Jackson Davis, who's been an All-America level player twice in three years, to say, oh, I'm just okay, is silly. So he knows that he's really good. But he also is being honest about what his really good has added up to, which hasn't been a lot. They probably would have been an 11 seed if there had been a 2020 tournament, ballpark 11-12. His sophomore year, 21, they didn't even make it. And then last year, they're one of the last four teams in. That's not what IU wants or believes it should be, and that's certainly not what he thinks he's capable of. And so this year, it means a ton to him. And I think we'll see. You know, I talked about that, that solidity we need to see from Xavier Johnson. I think that it, it, I think Trace is the kind of player that can command the respect to make sure that everybody is pulling in the right direction, in the same direction toward IU's success. Now that I, that that has to come to fruition, and it may you know it may not ever be needed. I mean, maybe his leadership will only be needed on a tough night where they're kind of tired or whatever, and he tries to pull them through. Maybe he doesn't have to uh, to keep them away from circumstances like uh, Northwestern last year on the road. Uh, maybe that doesn't even ever come up. That that's IU's best case scenario that circumstances like that don't happen again, and that they just are all out there to win. Uh, but if they have anybody who sort of wanders away, I think Trace is the kind of player, kind of person who can can get those players back to pulling in the right direction. Mike, moving up to West Lafayette again. Mike DeCourcy, uh, Sporting News, Big Ten Network, joining us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. I was texting with a buddy of mine who's a huge Purdue fan. was at the game last night. And you know, was basically saying like the Braden Smith box score doesn't tell the full story of just how much he controlled things on both ends of the floor. Purdue has had so much, and Jaden Ivey and Carson Edwards, you know, incredible talents, and obviously the front court history speaks for itself under Matt Painter. But it seems like that that lead point guard, that guy that can control things, we see it in March all the time. It feels like that's been a missing ingredient for Purdue, and Braden Smith could provide that for them for several years. Yeah, that's that's not been a strength of the Purdue programs uh, uh, under, under Matt recently, uh, over the last half decade or so. The point guard position. Uh, no, I mean that sounds silly when you had someone like Jaden, who was an all first team All American and a top five pick. But Jaden didn't get a ton of experience running the point. He, he only took it over last year when it was clear that that the other two players who were at that spot weren't going to be championship level. So he takes that over, and it's it's you know he's really he, I think he's a natural NBA point guard, but not as much. So a college point guard, he was more uh, better suited to creating for himself and then secondarily, if he got covered, to dumping the ball off to an opponent. But he, he, was, he was a scoring guard first, and that, that, that's not an insult. I mean, he was a superstar. But having someone who, who like Braden Smith, can run the team, and that's what he's there to do, and to make sure that the ball goes where it's supposed to go on both ends of the floor, uh, and that's, I think that's an advantage that the best teams have. And, that, and it's something that was missing before. But when I asked Matt 
at Big Ten Media Day uh, about a month ago uh, what he thought of his point guard situation. He was really enthusiastic about what Braden could be. And so I, 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 he, does, he doesn't mess around uh, with in, in those environments. When, when you ask him a question, he's pretty honest uh, about what he thinks, what he believes his team's capable of. If he thought that point guard was going to be a problem again, he'd have, he'd have acknowledged it. He's really excited about what Braden can do. And, and last night, all, the numbers weren't overwhelming. Uh, but that, you know, that's not really what matters. What matters is how did it get controlled. And that team was they, – they, they, the ball got to where it needed to go last night. Mike, does, does Matt Painter lean in on Zach Eady and become a down-low-based offensive team this year? Or does he allow that guard play to develop to give himself the offensive versatility that we've seen out of Purdue in years past? Well, Jake, I think if you have somebody like Zach out there, you, you ha- it, it doesn't make sense to not take advantage of, the, of, of what you have there. It's, he's nearly impossible to guard. Uh, you, almost ha- you almost have to foul him and hope they don't call it in order to defend him. And that's what happened last year in the, in the St. Peter's game where uh, he, he was hit relentlessly and, um, and got almost no calls, whereas in the Texas game, of three, four days earlier when he was hit relentlessly, they got the calls and were able to advance. So I think you have to take advantage of what he offers you. But anytime you throw the ball inside, if he draws a double team, that opens up something on the perimeter, whether it's for Brandon Newman or Fletcher Lawyer uh, or a dump down across the lane to Trey Kaufman-Wren or Caleb First, whoever's out there with him. Mason Gillis. He's, there's, just, there's a lot of options that become available. And when you're as tall as Zach is, and when you have as much skill with the ball as he has, that's all available to you. So as long as he's on the floor, it only makes sense to run inside first, but that doesn't mean the ball has to stay there. It really is fascinating to me, Mike, because I think that in my mind, I think because you lost a player that was a lottery pick in the NBA that was so dynamic in Jaden Ivey, I think to myself, well, Purdue is in – rebuild mode and then I'm like you know what though they're not I mean they've got they have the talent I I don't know if you'd say they're in reload mode but the drop-off is not going to be huge for Purdue especially in the front court yeah I mean correct I mean am I right in saying that I absolutely Uh, I've never believed this is a rebuild Uh, I I, in in a lot of ways last year I thought they had too much talent I I, I I think that's fair yeah yeah I think it's hard to play in college basketball with 10 A players. Uh, it, I just, you know, you had an A-plus player in, 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 in Jaden, and then you had maybe, let's say, an A-minus player last season in Mason Gillis. But they were all A players. And, and it's, hard to, it's hard to do that. Uh, it, it's hard to, to, to keep all of them in, in, in the right circumstance, and I think you get habitual with how you play. Uh, you, well, you know, it, we have two, two, two groups. And so if this guy gets in trouble, I know exactly what to go through. And, and when they got into the circumstance with St. Peter's, uh, and it was a little bit different, uh, they, they just, they felt like, okay, what we're going what we do is going to be the answer. And I think when you have a more normal rotation where you basically have seven, eight, eight and a half players that you're rotating, uh, then you can be a little bit freer with how you play. And so I think that this team is, in a lot of ways, I mean, you'd much rather have a superstar like Jaden on your team, but in a lot of ways is built better for success than last year's. Now, in order for that to work, though, 
you have to have Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer be really good. Uh, and Braden last night was terrific, and, and Fletcher was even better than that. Yeah, I, um, I'm a huge Notre Dame basketball fan, and as times it kind of makes me a little mad that Mike Bray doesn't go deeper. He often has the phrase of, you try keeping more than seven guys happy with playing time, <laughs> and it's worked for the Bray era. I'll end with this one, Mike. Um, Thad Mata, it's an interesting makeup of Butler's roster. He brought back like really key guys that flirted with the transfer portal, and then they did dip into the portal and added some uh, different types of bodies than I think Butler's had in recent years. What do you think year one expectations are over there at uh, 46th Street? I think it starts with just being better. And it, I, I don't think that you, you have to set necessarily numerical goals for them, uh, tournament, whatever. I think that it, it starts with being better than they were a year ago. And I thought that last year the biggest problem was simply there just wasn't enough ability there. It just wasn't a talented enough team. Uh, I I do think that they're, uh, you know, you look at somebody like Lacosius, though, I think he is a player that has the potential to, to, to move forward after a solid freshman year. I think he can be someone, you know, that flirts with third team all league or something like that. And uh, I, the, the new players add some depth and add some talent. And, uh, you know, I think that is one of the great coaches. Uh, I, when he uh, left Ohio State in June of 2017, I this is a true story. I sat down and wanted to figure out, like, what was he averaging per year in terms of wins? And I did the math, and it said 29 wins a year. And I'm like, oh, no, that can't be right. I must, you know, I'm, I'm terrible at math. Right. I must have put the, you know, and I did it again, and it's 29. And five years later, it's still 29. He is, that, that, that was Hall of Fame track. Uh, before you know his health uh, took a toll on him, and and it and it was most prudent to step away. Uh, so if he's got the energy, and he's and all evidence uh, says he does, Butler's getting one of the great coaches in college basketball. So it's it's going to be moving forward. It's just a question of how fast and how far. Jake, that means Thad Motto would be in what the upper quartile of upper quartile. Of the upper. Of the upper. Which is rare air. Yeah, very rare air. Butler wants to hang a banner for that. Uh, Mike, good luck to your Steelers here in a few weeks. Um, again, the first one to oh. ten. It, it might honestly be just one T.J. Watt strip sack. We'll probably change the game as it looks like <laughs> T.J. Watt is uh, nearing a return. Uh, really looking forward to having you on more during the college basketball season. Thank you. Kevin, Jake, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Jake, you know the uh, cold. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I've made some news when Stephen Holder yesterday is making an appearance on Outside the Lines. Nice. I kind of forgot it was still a show. I, I I thought you were about to say that he made an appearance on Outkick, and I was about to think to myself, the world oh has absolutely stopped. Man, we've really started off these two uh, 7 and 8 o'clock hours with some interesting topics. Stephen Holder, ESPN.com, with us here. We probably won't go off the Outkick comment there, Stephen. We'll focus on uh, Jim Irsay and that press conference. Um, let, let's start there. I, I did it yesterday with Bob Kravitz, and I want to kind of give you the floor, leave it pretty open-ended. Your thoughts on how everything transpired Monday evening from an Ursay ballard saturday standpoint. 
Yeah, so first of all, I want to I want to just say that the only reason I know it's Wednesday is because you guys called me. <laughs> Otherwise, I have no idea what the hell day right. is. Right. All right. So, with that out of the way, uh, I I was absolutely floored by that press conference and not in a very positive way whatsoever. Um, it I, I think throughout the day you as a fan, you know, watching this play out on the internet and uh, on your television, you had questions, right? Why? What are we doing? Why, why are they doing this? And I felt as though uh, just about all the way through that press conference, I still didn't have those answers. And and I, I felt a little bad at the time, but, you know, uh, Jim Mercy was asked, I think, uh, uh, you know, one of several follow-ups, you know, to, to get specific about why he made this move uh, with Jeff Saturday, and he didn't answer it. He just kept talking about how he's a great guy. I, I, honestly, no one cares, man. <laughs> I don't care he's a nice guy. I love Jeff Saturday. That is not in question. And I interrupted him, and I said, Jim, be specific, man. Why? And that was, the, the, I thought, the, the most specific answer he gave. And I'm not trying to be a hero. I'm just saying I was, I was just annoyed by the whole thing. Like, dude, you got to answer the question. I, I love you, Jim, but you got to answer the question. And he, he talked about leadership, and he went on and on about that. That's fine. That's a very legitimate quality that helps you be a, a, an effective head coach. But I just thought, I got the sense that Jim Irsay went into this, and I don't want to psychoanalyze him, but I got the sense he went into this thinking, this is going to be a home run. They're going to love this, and this is going to play well. And I don't think it necessarily did to the extent he expected. I thought he was surprised by that. Do you think? Okay, let me let me ask you a question here, Stephen Holder, ESPN.com. Do you believe that Jim Mercey felt like he had to make a move with Frank Reich? He had no other option. And Jeff Saturday was a guy that, obviously, in a mid-season when a lot of guys aren't available, they could bring in from the outside. Or do you think that Jim Mersey has long tried to get Jeff Saturday in the building in some capacity and saw a window and jumped on it and therefore made a move that he otherwise would not have made if it were not for Jeff Saturday's availability? Right. Hard to say. I, I think that... I, here's what we know. Here's what we know. Jeff Saturday and Jim Mersey have been growing closer through these conversations that, that Jim alluded to. I mean, obviously, they have a, a very long history together. So it's not like they, they just met each other and hit it off. I mean, they have a long history, many, many years, right? But that, that relationship, I, I think, has taken on sort of a, a different capacity lately or Jeff's relation to the team has taken on a different capacity when he's working as a consultant and and has the air of the owner that has been made clear to me he has had the air of the owner for quite some time and I think whatever whatever lens Jeff Saturday was seeing the team through that was being relayed to Jim Mercy because Jim Mercy wanted that information he wanted to know and I think because of that relationship, it carried a lot of weight. I have no idea what kinds of things Jeff Saturday was espousing. I, I'm not going to to speculate on that. I have no idea. Uh, but but certainly, it, it carried a lot of weight because I think people like Jeff Saturday who have a history with the organization, uh, be it Peyton Manning, 
Tony Dungy over the years, although they are certainly not in agreement here, but but people like that, they have always their their thoughts have always carried a lot of weight with Jim Ursay. So I, I don't know. I just it feels as though Jim Mercy started to see just Saturday in a different light. I mean, yes, they've talked to him about positions with the team before. Uh, working as an offensive line coach is a much different proposition. That, that's, that has nothing to do with what he's doing now. This is a totally different proposition here. So I don't know how to answer the question. All I'm saying is that he clearly has, they've clearly had a lot of high-level conversations, and Jim Mercy was disenchanted with his team, and so whatever he heard made him think this could work. Stephen, the other thing I, I was saying to Kevin earlier, I, the thing that's frustrating to me about all of this is there are all kinds of inconsistencies. There are all kinds of contradictions yeah. in narrative. And, you know, I mean, we're not tanking. This is BS for anybody to say we're tanking. I'm paraphrasing Jim Irsay in, in, in interviews that he did. If that's the case, then shouldn't we be like really concerned that bringing out a third-string quarterback and and making a coaching change in the middle of the year to a guy who has never been an assistant or a head coach is deemed to be the best effort that they can do? Yes. <laughs> Look, there are still people in that building who think that playing Sam Ellinger is crazy. Okay? I, I'm, I'm telling you what I know. Okay. And this is not about the quarterback. We're, we're past that. But I'm just making the point to, uh, to your question. It, it doesn't – they're not calling it a tanking effort. And, and I don't know that Jim Ursay in his heart of hearts thinks he's tanking. That's the thing here. I, I kind of believe him. I really don't know that he thinks he's tanking. And because what we know of Jim Ursay is, although there was clearly a tank job in 2011, this guy, he's a dreamer. He, he says it all the time, and we have years and years of evidence of it. He, he sees something in this situation that maybe others do not. So I, I don't completely laugh off his statement when he says we're not taking. He might actually believe it. He does. Yeah, I really think that. I, I don't. I'm, I'm getting so much feedback from fans. Well, obviously they're tanking. You're wrong. <laughs> You're wrong. Jim Mercer don't agree with you, man. He doesn't agree. I, I, I really wholeheartedly believe he thinks they're going for it. And like Jeff Saturday is not some mascot. He thinks they're going to go and turn this thing around. I think he really believes that. Steven, again, Stephen Holder, ESPN.com, with us here on the Payless Lickers Hotline. What do you think Chris Ballard is thinking? Oh, boy. <laughs> well, look, I, I'll say this. I, I don't think Chris Ballard went to the mat for Frank Reich. I'm not going to say, say that, right? And, and nor sh- should he have. I, I mean, we saw it. It was, it was inevitable, okay? I think we all agreed at some point it was inevitable. It was a question of whether he was going to make it to the season. And, and Sunday was just, that was a low point. That, I, I wrote it in my story. That was rock bottom. So... I don't think there was a lot of disagreement there. I mean, just reading the situation and from conversations I've had, I don't think Chris Ballard necessarily had a lot of disagreement there. Okay. Now that has nothing to do with whether he agrees with uh, the hiring of just Saturday. Look, I mean, he was asked very directly. I I think it might've been you, Kevin, you know, he was asked very directly. "Are, Are you in lockstep with this? And, and what was the conversation like when, when Jim 
or say came to him and said, we want to make the move for Jeff Saturday. His answer was not, you know what, let's go, let's do it. His answer was, well, we had a very spirited conversation. And I've heard that from Chris Ballard before. I've heard it when he's talked about him and Frank Reich not being on the same page about an issue. That's his way of saying we had to work it out. We had to talk it out because we were not on the same page. Okay, here he is in front of Jim, in front of Jeff Saturday, and mind you, okay, in front of Jeff Saturday, giving zero endorsement to the move. Okay, zero endorsement. And maybe I'm reading too much into this. Maybe I am. I will fully and readily admit that. But here's his new head coach, for better or worse, and he has an opportunity to say, "Look, you know what? I believe in him. He's a he's our guy." He said none of that. None of that. Okay, so. Take that for what it's worth. I think it's worth a lot. Steven, I want to. I'm going to ask you to put yourself in Jim Irsay's mind, which I know is incredibly unfair. But um, if you don't mind, hey man, I'm only halfway through this cup of coffee. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, you might need to add a little something there. Um, how do you think Jim Irsay views Jeff Saturday in 2023? Do you think he honestly thinks he's going to be the head coach? the GM or close friend that continues to show up to ring of honor ceremonies and bangs the anvil. Hmm. I mean, it's a tough one. Obviously I, I, I really, I go back to what I said a minute ago about, about him not thinking this is a tank job and, and thinking they have the potential to, to reverse their fortunes. I think there's a similar outlook on just Saturday personally. Like I, I think Saturday is here next year in some capacity, unless he doesn't yeah. want to be here. I think so. Oh, I, I, I very much think so. Look, he couldn't get Peyton Manning, right? We know that, but he loves him some former Colts. Okay, he loves him some former Colts, and this particular former Colt has been well positioned uh, to to really burnish his reputation with the owner. And I'm not saying that's what Just Saturday was trying to do, man. He don't strike me as that kind of guy. I'm not saying that. Nobody, this is not some kind of deal where he was trying to gain favor or any of that. I am, no one said that. I have no, I have no information about that. I am not saying that. I'm just saying by virtue of being close to the owner, talking to the owner, and being asked of the owner for his, posi- for his opinion, um, it, it puts him in a different light with Jim Mercy. That is what has happened here. Uh, I mean, because there's no other way for a guy to go from great player, clearly, six-time pro bowler, but there's no way for a guy to go from analyst seat at ESPN to the corner office at 56th Street. There's no other way to do it unless the owner just has just an incredible opinion of you that may or may not be warranted. So, Stephen, I'll put it this point blank. Jim Mercer has always said or insinuated, you know, in various ways, he has delivered the message that he has tried very hard to avoid being his father in terms of the level of interference that he has with the people that he hires to run the football team that he owns. Jim Mercer is the owner. He can do absolutely without question whatever in the heck he wants, as often as he wants. He has that right. But... If he doesn't want to interfere with the operations of his football team to the point of detriment, has he crossed that line? I think that he, I think this is the closest he has come to being his father. And I I don't even mean just Monday. 
I'm just mean, I mean, recently. Uh, well, we, we could even go back to the Carson Wentz fallout. Now, this is not me saying that they made a mistake on Carson Wentz. I, I didn't have a problem with, with trading Carson Wentz. I'm talking about the way it was handled. Okay? People in that organization throughout the Carson Wentz saga were just beating themselves over the heads with the fact that you know, this, he's killing us in our trade value here. <laughs> you know, the things that were said publicly or privately that were clearly coming from the owner, they undercut the trade value. By some miracle, Chris Ballard should probably be executive of the year for pulling off that trade. I mean, despite all the other ridiculous moves that have gotten them in, in this mess, <laughs> that is that's one hell of a deal. I would put that at the top of my resume. I got two picks for Carson Wentz after he completely crashed and burned and the owner tanked our trade value right so my point is i really think this is the closest he's come to being like his father and it's not a compliment man i mean you know may he rest in peace but like he's as you just said jamerce has gone out of his way to and been over backwards to not be his father and again this is the closest he's come look the, the quarterback situation as i said uh, he's he's kind of telling a different version of the story that I've heard, okay, you know, in the subsequent interviews that he's doing. So that's one thing. And then the way this Frank Reich situation was handled, fired over the phone, uh, I think just the fact that I was hearing rumblings Monday morning um, as I'm boarding my plane in New England before Frank Reich had any idea this was coming. You know, that shouldn't happen. You know, why Why did I know that? I was texting people in the organization who were like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, and, and sure enough, it happened two hours later. So my point is, I, I, it just felt messy. It felt sloppy. And that's not the mark of a classy organization. Do things the right way. And if you hired people to run your organization, granted, they can screw up, but that doesn't mean you completely take the wheel and just and, and turn into and turn it into a solo show. I mean, no good football team is run by one man. Steven, you went on Peter King. Again, Stephen Holder is with us here on the Pale Slickers Hotline. You went on Peter King's podcast yesterday, and it got me thinking uh, back to an Ursic quote. This was Daniel Snyder-related a few weeks back that he said to Peter King. Um, he said to Peter King, two things destroy great institutions, being emotional and rationalization. Is this move emotional for Merced? It feels like it. It does. It really feels like it. Because, think about it. What would, let's put it this way, okay. The the people who like this move, and they have, look, I don't know how this is going to turn out. Jeff Saturday may win a Super Bowl. I don't know. I hope he does. I want to be there for that story. But whatever. The people who right now are gung-ho about this, fans, whoever, or Jim Mercer himself, what are they basing that on? They're basing that on the fact that they love Jeff Saturday. <laughs> but they love him in a totally different capacity. So what I'm saying is, and what I mean by that is, they love him as a player because that's, that's all they know of him. And he's a great guy. And know nothing about him as a coach. So it's like every time these coaching searches happen, I always hear from fans, oh, we should hire Peyton, we should hire this guy. Like, None of, all of that's based on emotion. None of that's based on logic and, and thinking things through and, and, and sort of asking yourself, okay, well, why this person or that person? 
Not because you had their football card when you were a kid, man. That ain't a good reason. So, does it? Is it emotional? I don't know. You know, again, we're trying to psychoanalyze Jamerse, but it feels like it. That's what I'd say. Stephen Jeff Saturday's a wonderful guy. I I, I don't think anybody disputes 100%. that. Wonderful guy. Do you think that there are people inside the building that work under that now will work underneath him that question or resented him giving the, being given an opportunity when other guys were in that building? I'm not going to say resent because I, I don't I don't know that, but but certainly there are people in the building who will work underneath Jeff Saturday, who right now are like, what the hell are we doing? One hundred percent. 100%. And there's even more that I can't talk about because I'm trying to pin down, but it's messy. How much on a 1 to 10 scale, 10 being the most, 1 being the absolute least, how much say and influence did Chris Ballard have on these moves? I can only speculate. Let me be clear. I can only speculate. Um, but one thing I always tell people I'm sorry for the long answer, but one thing I always tell people is that as, as reporters, and, and you know this, both of you guys know this, you know, you're around these individuals every day. I, we talk to them, and I know I talk to Chris Ballard constantly, you know, and outside of the, the interview realm environment, right? So, so what you guys, what people, what the public sees in that interview environment, that's like, like 1% of it, right? So my point is, you really understand these people, and you, you kind of learn to read them. So this is what, but this is why I say I'm speculating because you know, look, he hadn't said this verbatim, but I can read Chris Ballard, all right, and all, and, and even though he got snippy at one point, I think that was directed to KB <laughs> about the the wide receivers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but even though he got snippy there, for the most part, his tail was between his legs in that press conference. That ain't Chris Ballard. Chris Ballard is a bold South Texan, loud talker who's very confident, not in a, in a jerk kind of way for the most part, but definitely confident. I didn't see any of that except from that one instance, which was weird, but whatever. You didn't see any of that. And I'm just telling you, I, I think it matters a lot because you can read people. I mean, the, the people you work with in your, in your office, right. As a, as a listener out there, you know how to read body language. You know how to deal with those people. You know, when something's up, it's the same thing here, man, and maybe that's unscientific. It is, certainly. That's well, I, I looked at it, Stephen, I looked at his body language, Chris Ballard's, and I looked at the way he was, like, his defensive nature, and I looked at it as a guy that I was wondering if, okay, does this guy, is he going to be here next year? But it looked to me like Chris Ballard was sitting there asking himself that exact same question. Am I too well, Freudian? He be. Yeah, he, he, I, I think he should be. Because whether whether it's because Jim Mercy changes his mind, he, all right, Jim Mercy is giving him the kiss of death right now, right? Like, oh yeah, he's he's my guy. Whatever. It, whether he should be thinking about his future, because whether it's because you maybe don't trust the owner's word, and, and because things do change, right? I mean, you got a new interim coach. There are going to be changes. Okay, Chris Ballard knows that. He's not stupid. So could he be among those changes? Of course. So that's one bucket. The other bucket is. If things, if he's lost control of the situation, if, okay, if, if he doesn't have control of the situation anymore, well, KB and I talked about this the other night. Well, he's got a good enough resume that 
he may say I'm out. I, I don't know that, and that's very, 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 very speculative. Yeah. Okay. Same. But but he could do that. He could do that and and land on his feet just fine. Yeah, I would think the only reason why you would hold on is from a financial standpoint, make Jim Mersey fire you and get the money that you know Frank Reich is now getting. We um, all have our price. <laughs> sure, sure. Steven, I know a lot of this is maybe not the most concrete and direct stuff, so I appreciate you entertaining some of these questions with us. And yes, indeed, it is Wednesday, and we will see you at a Jeff Saturday Wednesday press conference as the Colts get back on the practice field here at noon. All right, guys, buckle up. Interesting day.